The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and wonderful to be talking with you again today. And I'm delighted that we're going to be talking about uh, rethinking our next quarter century uh, with uh, my guest today, Jared Nichols. I want to firstly say a big thank you to my guest last week, Anthony Day, who really helped me to understand sustainability even better and to think about the endurance of our resources to meet the needs of present and future populations and what we can personally do about it within our businesses. Well, I hope you had a great week and I've certainly had a a fascinating week myself and I'm feeling just really, really grateful today. And that's due to the positivity surrounding the launch of my book, co-written with Dr. Stephen Levinson, The Power to Get Things Done Whether You Feel Like It or Not. There are just so many people to be grateful to who have been sharing the book this week. Um, as my guest Jared will understand, when you put so much work into something, it's just great to hear that people are finding it valuable. I was particularly thankful to Dr. Ivan Meisner, the founder and chairman of BNI, and his team, who wrote a wonderful blog post endorsing it, which so far has had 272 Facebook shares and 108 LinkedIn shares. So, wow. I'm also grateful to my publisher, Penguin Random House. The book's published in the USA, and it's imported by the UK division, which is my home country. But there's been lots of interest in the UK, and I'm delighted to say it's getting special attention, and they're providing uh, publicity support, something rarely done with an imported book. Um, so thank you to them. Uh, I also had a wonderful meeting with Andy McMenemy, the World Ultramarathon record holder, who's kindly bought 11 signed copies. And there's a show with Andy actually uh, back in the archive. And he bought those to give to his customers. He also f- photographed the book at 20,000 feet while on a business trip this week. Uh, also Jim Beach for the interview on his School for Startup show, syndicated across eight U.S. stations next week. Uh, Meryl Coslow deserves a special thank you, as does adventurer Neil Lawton, who's told me he's taking the book on an Arctic expedition to read. So that's certainly cool. Uh, so please send through any photographs of you with the book doing exceptional things, perhaps where it's inspired you to really get those important things done. And you can send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk, and you might get a special mention, and we can put that up on a nice board and be really grateful for those. So let's focus today on the show and Jared Nichols. Now, the rate of change we see in the world today is unprecedented. There's new innovations and products and services um, are, as a consequence, fading to, into irrelevance uh, more quickly than ever before. There's a constant bombardment of the vast array of information now available. And it can easily make us, as leaders and entrepreneurs, feel really overwhelmed. We know we must change constantly and quickly, but we lack clarity about how and why. Now, Jared Nichols is a deep futurist, future strategist. 
He's an executive advisor, a speaker, a coach. He came highly recommended to me by my friend Chad Barr, who I would recommend listening to his show if you're doing anything with your website. It was really awesome. Um, Chad, sorry, Jared um, helps leaders and organizations gain competitive advantage, sees new market opportunities, driving new revenue and increased profits. He's one of the few people in the world to hold a master's degree in strategic foresight. He works with um, companies ranging from Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurial startups, through to even working in Hollywood. He's a recognized speaker, a prolific author. He's published over 50 articles. He's the author of four books, including Rethinking Your Next Quarter, Century, How to Create Continuous Growth and Ensure Future Relevance. So a big, big welcome to Jared Nichols. Thanks, Chris. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Besides the uh, the snow and ice outside, I can't complain. The power's still on, so we're good. You've got this big, big storm coming, haven't you? Well, we're getting really uh, a smaller portion of it than what uh, Washington, D.C. and Baltimore and what looks like New York City is going to be getting today. So uh, I really can't complain. But Good, good luck yeah. to anybody who's, uh, who's there and listening to this live and, and the snow's piling up outside. Um, so keep yourselves, keep yourselves warm. Uh, so, so, Jared, you're a, um, besides a deep snow, you're not a steep snow future strategist, you're a deep future strategist. What is it? Well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a great question. I, I think it's really just a clever way to differentiate myself from a traditional futurist. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the first time I heard this term uh, and really resonated with it was uh, reading through some articles about uh, the U.S. Special Forces and some of their, uh, uh, some of their planning and their operations. And they talked about uh, looking at the deep future and creating a deep future strategy. And that immediately signaled to me, I was like, well, that's that's exactly what I've been trained to do. And, uh, and part of that uh, is really, uh, there are several uh, great colleagues of mine that are futurists that do an outstanding job. Many of them are speakers. Um, but one of the, the main things uh, that differentiates, I'd say, my work and folks like myself is that rather than just looking at what the future may be, what the next 50 years might look like, you know, rather than just saying these trends may turn into this, uh, we really try to put down a, a strategy around that. Because the question that most people have after hearing about what the future may look like is, okay, well, that's great. So, uh, so what do I do about it? Mm-hmm. So when I, when I say that I'm a deep future strategist, it's really looking at various layers uh, of the way that the future may unfold, and more importantly, how we in the present day can begin to leverage that. I was at an event a couple of, maybe about three years ago now, and one of the big things they were really stressing about the future was 3D printing. And I suppose that, you know, that was great. Um, however, for me and with my business, it was, well, that's great knowing that, and it's really fascinating where we're going, but what do I actually do with it, um, that information? Uh, yeah. So, you know, sometimes it, these things open up all sorts of questions, don't they? Well, absolutely. You know, and 3D printing is one of those, uh, I think it's a great example. What we see going on in 3D printing now is, uh, you know, is when you look back to where 3D printing really started, which was in the early 80s. I mean, it was for designers and uh, for contractors, prototyping and whatnot. You know, when you really look at uh, a new technology, and this is really important, especially when you're looking at how the future may unfold, is uh, I try to tell people it's it's important to look at a new technology or a new, uh, you know, a, a social moray or something that's going on and say, we need to look beyond what this was originally intended for and the audience for whom it was intended for to understand how this can impact various other parts of society. So you think of 3D printing. Well, most people were unaware of it unless that was 
in their direct line of sight. It was part of their field. But if you were to be back in the early 80s and say, well, how, how might 3D printing break out of this and start to affect, you know, the way that we view arts and entertainment or the way that we, you know, consume media or the way that we, uh, uh, you know, get from one place to another. Start looking at various aspects of that. You could easily come to the conclusion of where we are now. Uh, even 10 years ago, uh, people were talking about 3D printing food, 3D printing cars, and now we're there. You know, we're already doing that. So, uh, so yeah, so that's part of, of looking at the deep future is, is looking beyond original intent and, and the audience for whom it was originally intended for. It sounds very much like something out of uh, Steven Spielberg, a movie, The Deep Future. You could, um, you could see that being used as a title. Um, yeah. So what, what made you choose to go down that route with your career, just out of interest? Yeah, well, you know, prior to, to doing what I do now, I actually spent uh, about eleven and a half years in the insurance world, and uh, I jokingly tell people my timeline. You can't really follow a, a complete line of logic. I, I came out of undergrad with a degree in English creative writing and history, so naturally I went into the insurance business, and then from there, uh, about eleven years in, it was great, uh, very successful, and enjoyed it, but. Um, I just, you know, always wanted to do something more to take my talents and my abilities to to make a bigger impact. And that was, you know, moving into that place there, I I happened to come across uh, uh, one of the three programs in the U.S. that's accredited for strategic foresight and future studies, and uh, pursued that. And it was the first academic uh, structure that I felt fit my brain. And I said, "Up, oh, this is this is what I was made for. <laughs> this this you have to you have to think, you know, uh, about a lot of these crazy, impossible, and absurd ideas." I think honestly to uh you know to really to really excel in this field. So so yeah, so that's how I decided to uh, to take my career in this direction. And and why do you think that we need to rethink our next quarter century? I mean is that is that something you're is it possible to think that far ahead and is that something that we all should be trying to do, to go on a 25 year horizon when maybe sometimes we struggle to go much further than 3. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, it's absolutely possible. I mean, we can think 100 years out and 50 years out. I mean, the real question, I think, that uh, uh, needs to be examined and, or you know, really answered is, can we not only think that far out, but then can we act in the present day according to what we see may be possible that far out? I mean, to, to think that we're going to plan from the present and say, well, this is going to ensure that in 25 years we're going to be in a good position, uh, that's not, you know, nobody's really doing that. I mean, really what it is, is it's in the past, we always had strategic planning. And I, and I think an easy way to look at this is that strategic planning, uh, traditionally, if you look at where you're located, and I like to look at things like perceptual location, you know, where's our mindset right now? Strategic planning is about here we are in the present. We're going to look at the past. We're going to see our results. We're going to see what we've done. And we're going to project those into the future. And we're going to make a plan according to that. Well, foresight and looking longer term is really about standing in the future and saying, who is it and what is it that we are ultimately trying to be? And how do we arrive at this place? So you stand in the future, look backwards, and start to figure out, now how do we get here? And so thinking about your next quarter century is really a matter of you know, pushing yourself to, uh, to envision multiple possible future outcomes, uh, rather than saying, well, there's one future outcome and hopefully we'll be ready for it. Uh, in that case, you can't think about 25 years because your view and your scope is too limited. So actually what we're we're not just doing is we're not you know looking at just all of the things that might impact us in terms of other technologies or the products or the companies 
over the next uh, 25 years and trying to predict what those may be because the world is, it just seems to be, have a lot of examples of disruptive things at the moment, but we're also actually, you know, key question is where do we want to be and where do we want our business in 25 years and then to look back and then you, I guess you manage that through, throughout all of these changes. Is that? Yeah, no, I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I've just actually just come from a meeting today um, with we're just doing exactly this sort of about the same sort of thing. You know, the company have been really thinking hard. What you know, they've been this for 140 years actually, um, but they're really thinking about what they want to be. Uh, you know, moving into the next 25, which is which is something quite different actually, and embracing different ideas and the need for people to be part of community and all sorts of things um, which is was very different to the you know the core products and services that they they provided um, so it seems very absolutely opportune um, what well, do you have any favorite examples of, of companies who've, who've failed to do this and have really suffered the consequences of that? <laughs> <laughs> here's my here's my top 10 favorite failure list <laughs> right here here you go Chris no I, I mean there's there's the obvious you know over here in the US I mean I think a lot of folks when they think about companies that have failed that have failed to do uh, you know that where the signs were written on the wall said look we we need to move on this now but they decided not to move or they just believed that it wasn't going to happen I mean you know blockbuster is a perfect example with Netflix coming on yeah. uh, circuit City uh, you know, even look at the casinos in Atlantic City last year as they began to shut down as well. Uh, so many things were disrupting large traditional industries. And there's that, that concept and there's this, um, you know, this, this group think that a lot of big companies and uh, other organizations carry. And that is, well, we've come this far. There's no way an organization our size will be toppled by some small pesky company like Netflix. Well, you know, of course we see now that that, that wasn't the case at all. So, you know, your big companies are the ones like that, that uh, they have the resources to move and to change and to, uh, to reinvent early on. It's just a matter of, of, uh, of actually doing it and taking action and taking serious things that could potentially disrupt them. I also remember, I um, think it was, it was a chairman of British Airways in the United Kingdom. Um, he said, his biggest mistake in life was not taking seriously a man because he wore a woolly jumper. He was talking about Richard Branson. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, which became very disruptive to British shows. I hadn't thought about that example there. You talk about gambling and, and the casinos. I, I did was surprised to see an advert on the television the other day. Um, it's not something I get involved in in any way, um, gambling of an interest in. But um, they were saying, you know, we've got come and play our online games, you've got over 200 different games for you to play. Um, that must be hugely disruptive for that marketplace. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. And Kodak would be another one that comes to mind. Oh, yeah, Kodak's another giant that uh, a lot of folks love to point to and say, well, they, they should have seen this coming. Hey. You know, the, the reality is, Chris, too, a lot of these companies do see this coming. It's really it's a decision uh, whether to embrace it or ignore it. And that's, uh, and that's the real struggle. Uh, there's still a lot of doubt of, well, this, this, this isn't going to happen. And it's always my favorite when somebody says, oh, that'll never happen. <laughs> That's, it's a sure sign of, well, you've got to retool your thinking there. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Are there, are there any uh, companies maybe you've worked with or you, you see that you kind of really admire for the way that they have them, you know, change course and embrace the future? You know, what I find, just as with every company, it's, it's the individuals within the company that – 
that start to make the change or start to seed ideas that that can really be grasped and that can can start to move an organization in a different direction. And a lot of times you actually see this with uh, smaller companies. And a big part of that is because they, they feel they've got the room to, you know, to make mistakes. And uh, the risk for them, at least the perceived risk, is not as large uh, at that point. So what I've, what I've admired with a lot of the folks that I've worked with is when they allow themselves to think beyond what they have traditionally thought was possible. You know, it's, it's almost like this wall. If you start, if you can get people to break past this wall of possibility, you know, what their limited worldview has been, and all of us have a limited worldview, and we all have bias about, you know, the way the world works, and, and that's perfectly normal. But the key is, is to, to move beyond that and start to envision how can we change and adapt and get ahead of, you know, disruption? How can we become more disruptive ourselves? Because most of us, we have to either be given permission or give permission to ourselves to, uh, to move into a new space or to do something that does not fall in line with, say, what we have, have done for many years. I mean, I look at my, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, English, creative writing, history, employee benefits, <laughs> strategic foresight. You know, I mean, it's, you can't really draw a line, you know, a straight line through all those, but they all do interconnect and they interwork. And the transferability of the skills and the things that I picked up along the way uh, allow me to break into new markets as well and provide value in ways that uh, I may not have uh, otherwise have seen if I had limited myself to, say, staying in the insurance industry. So all that said is it's really about the individuals in the organization. Are they willing to push themselves past that wall of possibility? Excellent. This, this radio show is quite an interesting example of that. And that many, you know, a number of years ago, probably 10 years ago or something, you couldn't do anything like this. So <laughs> I'm able to sit here in my... Yeah. My comfortable office at home. Uh, you're sitting in your uh, comfortable office at at home, um, hoping the snow doesn't get too deep. We're having a great conversation, and and this show is accessed in over 50 countries every month. So, you know, people are choosing to listen in different ways, and it's, it's not just going to the commercial station anymore. Um, so, in some ways, we're we're disrupted in what we're doing right now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, on that thought, we're going to go to a commercial break now, and after the break, we're going to talk about. Uh, some of the the keys to creating your future and uh, some of the, uh, the the things that we need to consider and think about to uh, to rethink our next quarter century and ensure we are relevant. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. 
Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm talking to uh, Jared Nichols. We just had a conversation in the break there about our children. We've both got boys uh, Jared's a five and two, and mine are nine and six, and uh, uh, they certainly have an impact on your future, don't they, Jared? Yeah, that's that's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> lots of oh, joy, lots of joy. Um, but I was just clearing out my car, which uh, I think has been used by as a litter bin by my kids over the last two or three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing what you can find in there. Um, so, uh, Jared, when we were, I mean, you sent me a little a video clip of you, which was the. Uh, three C's of creating your future. Do you want to tell us what that's about? Yeah, <clears throat> uh, this is a video I actually shot with Chad Barr. So uh, you'd mentioned him uh, in the introduction of the show. That's why it looks uh, so professional, then. Yes, exactly. If I'd shot that myself, it'd look quite different. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, this, uh, the three C's of creating your future, I wanted to keep a real simple way to help people think about the qualities that are required for people uh, in the 21st century to really be taking a proactive role in creating the future. And the first is that, uh, I like to put it this way, the future belongs to those that are conscious, curious, and creative. And, and I wish I could say that I, I wish I could take full credit for coming up with this, but I really have to give that credit to my wife. She had stepped back and said, Jared, you really need to think about it this way. So, uh, so this is credit to my wife who's probably listening to this right now. But uh, so the first is the future belongs to those that are conscious. And I, and what I mean by that is being conscious of what's going on around us. So we, of course, I think the argument can be made that we are more uh, self-involved, <laughs> thanks to technology and several other uh, elements in our society today, than we ever have been. Um, and maybe we've always been the self-involved. We just have the tools to, to really manifest it in a way that's <laughs> that it is, is today. So you know, being conscious of what's going on outside of us, uh, what's going on not just outside of ourselves, but what's going on you know, in our communities, what's going on in, in our country, in the world, just being aware of emerging trends and issues that are, uh, that are, that are coming up, things that uh, may have uh, nothing to do with our, you know, our work as it is right now, but could have significant impacts for the future over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years or so. I, you know, we talked about 3D printing earlier. I think it's a perfect example. The second is uh, uh, the future belongs to those who are curious and what I mean by that is that uh, we don't, there seems to be, and again, I don't, I don't have any hard evidence for this, so it's a, you know, it's a speculation, but there seems to be a, a, a real lack of critical thinking in our day and age today. And we don't ask the kind of questions that we really need to be asking. Uh, instead, we, uh, I, and I, when I say we, I mean all of us in general, we often uh, assume that we have enough information to know the right answer. 
So we've, we've really stopped asking hard questions. And this is another reason why a lot of organizations or individuals start to get left behind or become, um, you know, have a target on their back and they get disrupted is because we're not asking the questions about our own relevance, about the value that we're bringing, about how we can evolve and change and reinvent ourselves. So, you know, we have to be curious by asking these questions that we're not asking. And then the last part of that, and I think is the most important part, is that we have to be creative. So the future belongs to those that are creative. And that is, is coming up with ideas that seem completely, uh, many times, off the wall, but also can tie back to real evidence of here's how the future might unfold and look. So I, I never advocate, hey, just come up with some idea that's not founded in any type of research or any type of um, you know, uh, extrapolation of a trend or event or an issue that's going on today. But we have to be able to uh, look at situations and come up with creative solutions to problems that, uh, uh, that challenge a lot of the traditional ideas and norms. So those are the three C's. Uh, you've got to be conscious, curious, and creative. I was just, um, just in, in a, a meeting of, uh, a couple of hours ago with uh, uh, a new uh, connection of mine, Steve, who, um, who runs a and founded, was co-founder of a, uh, an organization called Central Working. And what they do is they um, provide these really innovative, uh, creative uh, spaces for companies to come in and work and collaborate and connect and I was very impressed with one of these locations that I visited. Uh, Steve was telling me the story about how he'd, uh, he'd, he'd gone a bit against convention in the respect that he needed, for one of his uh, offices, he needed to really sort of transform uh, it internally. And it was a, a very expensive, you know, probably half a million dollar type, you know, refit that was required. Um, however, he gave it to two guys who had only just started their business. And usually you do lots of diligence and make sure see lots of, examples of work done uh, but he had a great feeling about them they had a great background they were starting a business and he was telling me how they came in a week early under budget uh, and it was a, a huge success uh, just that was a you know just a little example of of being creative rather than normally having I mean, to follow that diligent process <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> uh, that most companies do you know checking up references and testimonials and um, looking at turnover figures and all that kind of thing, he he went with a good hunch and it paid off. Yeah, that's yeah. Things just move so quickly today that it's uh, you, you often suffer more than gain if you go through the traditional channels, the way that things have been done so often in the past. And you know, by no means do I advocate that you just trash everything that we've done in the past, but we really have to be realistic. Uh, you know, the world is changing, and the systems and the structures that we have in place really no longer align. Uh, with the rate of change and speed that um, uh, that things are moving and changing, so when we were chatting uh, about this interview, you know, one of the things was said, and he just talks about rate of change. There um, is that many many companies struggle with indecisiveness, and I guess with that change, it's kind of understandable. Um, is it because of that change, um, and uh, you know, how do we kind of rectify that? Well, you know, I, I can't make a sweeping generalization because every company is going to be different. I mean, if you're dealing with a Fortune 500 company, you've got so many factors that have to be taken into consideration. You've got shareholders, you've got boards of directors, and for a lot of these folks, it's keeping you know keeping the status quo the way it is 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 part of the process, and so that that is to the detriment of a lot of these larger companies. Um, but the indecisiveness for I'd say for a lot of the smaller to medium-sized companies and individuals as well, is really uh, what I've found is, is it's because they don't really know how to make sense of what's going on around them. 
very smart people for sure, but it's often there's a, a process that's lacking. You know, so it's and a lot of it goes back to that critical thinking piece. How do we really think beyond what we've been told to think about the future? Um, instead of being a victim of the future, you know, things changing so quickly, um, how do we actually now get out ahead of this? You know, and how do we, you know, what questions do we need to be asking? How do we need to be looking at this in order to have a better understanding of what we need to do now in order to position ourselves for success in several possible futures? rather than saying, what do we need to do now to make sure uh, we minimize damage to this crazy future that keeps disrupting uh, so many industries. So it really comes down to just not knowing what the questions are they need to ask and not having a process that they can apply immediately. Mm, that makes sense. Makes a lot, a lot of sense. So is, is, this, is that the same thing with, you know, a lot of companies, they just go through the motions of operational trading and therefore they're reactive as opposed to, Proactive and getting on the front foot with this. Yeah, there's a everybody loves. You know, that's that's a common theme that comes up. We want to be more proactive instead of reactive. Um, and when you mentioned folks just doing what they've always done, again, I think a part of that too is that for so many of us, it's uh, it's worse to stand still and do nothing than to do the same old thing. Because at the end of the day, we want to be able to say, "Well, I give it my best shot," even if we knew to some degree that the the probability of success from doing the same old thing was going to be minimal. So, you know, when it comes to being reactive and proactive, it's really um, you really have to have a process and an understanding of of looking at uh, and really dealing with information. And I and I talk about this in the in the book, rethinking your next quarter century. But a way that people can start to look at stages of information. And so I'll, I'll take us in there real fast here and make it really quick. But information, because we live in this age where we have so much of it coming at us, a big problem is that people don't know how to make sense of what is valid, what's not valid, what should they be looking at, what's important. And so oftentimes people are just relying on getting their information on the nightly news uh, or cable networks or you know what's happening right now, right here. And for, for people, if that's their source of information, well, the only option that they have at that point there is to be reactive. So... When somebody says, well, how do I get out in front of an emerging trend or an issue or avoid disruption? I try to explain to them this way here. Stage one of information is what we call the weak signal stage. So it's like a blip on the radar, right? And so we go back to 3D printing. That would have been a weak signal stage in the early 80s. So it has you know, significance only to a small portion of the population. Um, very few people are aware of it. And uh, you know, there's no real discussion around how it might go beyond the industry that it was intended for. Then it starts, if it starts to grow and take hold, then it moves into what I say, you know, the potential stage or a potential event or an issue. And it moves into that stage, and that's stage two. And in that stage is where more people become aware of it. So as 3D printing began to move outside the bounds of its, uh, of its original industry, more people began to be aware of it, talk about it, and some speculation was maybe made about how it could... Uh, um, you know, be used in other industries. And, but, but for the most part, the vast majority of folks still aren't that aware of it, and there's not a whole lot of discussion around it. And then it gets into stage three, and that's the actual stage, the actual event stage of where it's news. It's on the nightly news. It's here. And at that stage, you only have that option to react. There's nothing you could do about it. So the key is learning how to make decisions in stage one and stage two, how to spot these trends and events and say, okay, how might this technology trend issue, event, whatever it may be, 
impact other aspects of society, you know, the social, the technological, economic, environmental, political. And, and that gives you the groundwork to start laying out a context for what the future might look like. And then you follow that. When it gets into a potential event, you start making decisions about if this takes hold, how can we make sure that we're in a strong position if this starts to move forward and become an actual issue or event. And so that's how companies get ahead of, of the here and now. That's how they become proactive, is that they're aware of the changes and they've made uh, projections about how the future might look. Again, it's not predicting that the future is going to be this one outcome. When we do scenario work, we come up with four or five scenarios at times and say, look, none of these scenarios, we're not saying one of these will happen. The future is going to look like a combination of all of them most likely. The key is, is just to make incremental investments in time, energy, capital, whatever it may be, uh, so that you're prepared for every single one of these. And you can move in and out of them without having to you know, get, put yourself in a position that a lot of companies are in, which is we have to bet everything and hope for the best. So uh, that's what it means to be more proactive rather than reactive. That makes sense. So it's, it's really keeping those, those different scenarios in your awareness, in your consciousness, and uh, being fleet of foot to react to them or be, be proactive with them if right. it seems appropriate. That's absolutely right. I was thinking, though, while you were talking about that example of the Internet, I remember getting my first email address when I was um, in about 1992, I think it was, <laughs> and, uh, and thinking, well, do I really need this? Because I'm actually using voicemail at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> that was at Mars, the big, you know, big organization, uh, oh. Inc., you know, so is this really going to catch on this stuff? <laughs> you know, right. I guess it was a weak signal for many at that point in time. Oh, well, it's amazing how fast all this has moved. I think they did a survey of uh, college kids and they were playing sounds for them. And the vast majority of them couldn't recognize the dial-up tone because it was only here for such a short amount of time. We remember it. That's how we got our internet. Yeah. So that, uh, you know, the AOL or the, yeah. the dial-up sound, yeah, it's for so many kids that are in college right now, they've never heard it. Now, what? I don't recognize that sound. So, yeah, it's, it's quite a few changes in a short amount of time. I was, I was wowed when I was a kid by playing, seeing for the first time, um, a, I think it was an Atari computer game where there was literally, it was a tennis game with uh, a bat, you know, to, uh, a little line, vertical line on each side of the net and a ball. We were passing it backwards and and trying to get it past each other, going beep, beep, beep. And now my right. nine-year-old son is playing Clash of Clans with uh, multiple friends in a network. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I actually recently just met up with, uh, uh, so I, as you and I have talked before, I'm also a cyclist. And so uh, with, with the weather and small children, uh, riding and getting out to ride is very, is, can be time-consuming and difficult on top of running a business. And uh, so I've started using this online program um, that allows us, it's like a first person game where you're in there, but it actually reads what's going off of my trainer. So I can be on a virtual, on a, on a indoor stationary trainer and it's going in real time with other people from around the world in this virtual cycling roads and courses and everything else. And I actually met up with a, fr- a friend of mine, uh, that I hadn't talked to in almost 10 years. And we, uh, we actually met in a virtual world and went for a ride together. <laughs> and it's like, this is crazy. But uh, it's amazing how these things are uh, moving so quickly and changing. It's changing the way that um, we interact and, uh, you know, and bond with other people. So That's awesome. I wrote my book with my co-author. We've been writing it for about five years and working on it, and we've never met yet. He's in Minnesota. So Same, there you go. Skype. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just um, thinking now about, you know, is... is is, is this about 
this being able to uh, predict the future or and to think about your future and reinvent your future does it, is it impacted by the caliber of resources that you have in your company or is, is it more about a in a culture of 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 consideration well you know i i would say if if we if we put human resources in there, I'm not talking about the uh, the position of human resources, but actual human resources. It's the intellectual capital that you have in an organization that's really going to be the most important thing. So having a higher caliber of intellectual capital in your organization is key, and and that you know depending on uh, you know what your criteria are for that, it's it's going to uh, take different shapes and different forms. But when I when I talk about having a high caliber of intellectual capital, it's really having people that are creative. You really want to have folks that um, you have people that are experts in a specific industry or a specific uh, um, you know uh, type of work that they do, and that's really important. But what you really need to have is people that are thinking beyond the norm. You know, and I hate the expression "thinking outside the box" <laughs> because inevitably we just create another box and have to think outside yes. that one. But yes. You know, it's it's getting people that will think and challenge traditional assumptions and biases about uh, the way that the world works, and that's really the, that's really the key. You know, having the you know the financial resources is certainly important, but most of those things you're really not going to know what you need until you go through that first step, which is is challenging traditional ideas about the future and about our our ability to actually create the future. So once you get to that point, start to recognize, here's what we need to do now in order to prepare ourselves for several possible future outcomes. Then you start looking at what type of resources, you know, financial, uh, um, you know, strategic partnerships, uh, you name it. I mean, that's when you really start to look at that. Um, I do think that organizations that um, do have a lot of resources, financial resources, for example, Often uh, may be tempted to try and throw as much money at uh, the problem or the situation and think and you know hope that it'll you know turn the ship, but uh, that's not always the case. So the real key is having high caliber intellectual capital in your organization, and for organizations, learning how to tap into that and giving folks the freedom to uh, to contribute their ideas, um, especially if you're trying to attract a millennial workforce. That's what they want to do. So let them do it. Yeah, and they're going to be attracted by many of them by creativity and environments that uh, promote that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we've got um, we're going to go to commercial break here now. So after the break, we'll start to look at some of the you know some of the approaches and tools to really doing this well. Um, so we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one to one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. 
Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. If you want to find out uh, more information about the shows that are coming up uh, and uh, uh, various bits of um, you know, relevant information to helping you to um, elevate yourself or your business, uh, then we, we send out a communication roughly about once a month and you can access that uh, by going to chriscooper.co.uk and clicking sign up on the front page. Um, so I'm back, I'm with uh, Jared Nichols. We're talking about rethinking your next quarter century. And I just wondered, if, you know, are there, is there any, uh, Gar- uh, Jared, sorry, Jared, any key approaches or tools that you'd recommend people you know, look at or use when they're doing this kind of work? Well, there's several tools that are out there for sure. Um, but the type of tool that you use is really going to depend on what your, your end goal or objective is. So uh, one of the uh, – I lay out a real simple process in the book, Rethinking Your Next Quarter Century. Uh, the book's actually 60 pages. So I wrote it very specifically for people that have very little time that takes them from point A to Z, showing them this is what you need to do in order to think and act on future possibilities. Uh, so, you know, it's really the first place to start is, is to start uh, looking at and scanning the in- environment and the horizon. That's something a lot of folks talk about. But again, it goes back to what we talked about, about being proactive and reactive. Looking for signs and clues that have not come into fruition yet, that are not on the nightly news, that could have implications, not just for your business or your industry, but for the world as a whole. And this is really important, especially as globalization is, it, it's a reality. This is, you know, several people and organizations love to say, well, we're trying to fight this. But the reality is, is that we live in a global market and uh, we're aware of everything that's going on around the world. And so we have to look for clues and, and signals that give us a context of what the future may be based on how they can potentially impact the world around us. That's the first thing, really. Uh, you know, once you've started to do that, the next thing is really to identify what are the real questions, the critical questions that we need to be asking that need to be answered for us right now. So it's great. We can sit there and, and look at how the future may unfold, and that's great, especially if you're you know, workshopping a new sci-fi uh, movie or a book or whatever it may be. But we always want to bring it back to the present day and get very specific. What questions do we in this organization or do do I as an individual here need to be asking in order to make the right types of decisions? And that really starts to line up the next steps that you need to take. You know, once you have the questions you're trying to answer, then you and your team can be much more focused on the approaches that you take to actually looking at what the future may be, uh, determining how strong, weak, or dead in the water your existing or proposed strategies might be uh, as it pertains to future growth or um, you know, avoiding disruption and so on. So that's really, you know, without exhausting all the various different methodologies, because 
even for me as a futurist, right? They can get boring because many of them may not be applicable. The real thing is uh, having a better understanding of what the world might shape up to be and, and uh, asking and starting to answer the questions that you need to have answered for yourself. Excellent. I know, know that's in your, uh, your book. There is a number of those approaches and tools that are, are mentioned in there. And uh, th- that can be obtained uh, via Amazon on, on Kindle and the likes. Um, and they've also very kindly offered um, to let people have um, free access if they wanted to that. Um, and uh, we're going to publish a, a code, discount code, in my newsletter, uh, which will be uh, in the next, um, probably end of next week, I think, when that one will go out. So we're going to publish a, a free code so you can access that uh, for free, and that will give you much more information to follow up on this interview. Uh, or if you, uh, if you missed that, you can contact uh, uh, Jared and... Um, at uh, jarednicholsgroup.com and uh, he'll also send that through to you as well. Um, so, Jared, um, we talk about remaining relevant um, when there's so much disruption out there, you know, ensuring your future relevance. Um, relevance is quite an interesting concept, isn't it? Because we can, we can find ourselves irrelevant if we're not careful. Um, anything to say about relevance that you think would be relevant to people? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could go around this one a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, relevance, uh, the real key is to move relevance from a concept to a reality. That's what everybody wants to ensure that they're going to be relevant. Now, that's a fear that I think a lot of folks have is, are we still going to be relevant? Is our industry still going to be relevant? And the next is, if not, then what do we do in order to, uh, to change that and ensure that we will be relevant? Uh, you know, I, I, there was a, um, a Gallup Lumina Foundation put out this poll, I believe it was in 2000, 2013, where they interviewed uh, chief academic officers from colleges and universities around the country. And then they, and they asked, how confident are you that your curriculum, what you're doing at this school, and again, I'm paraphrasing, how confident are you that this is preparing young people for the 21st century workforce. And I think it was 93% or so said we are either very confident or extremely confident that that's what we're doing. They asked the same questions to business owners and business leaders across the country, and only 11% came back and said they were confident that higher education was preparing young people for the workforce to meet their needs. And so you see a very big disconnect there right now. So there's a lot of discussions about higher education. I don't mean to pick on them, but they are one of the the main uh, pillars in our society, and that's that's one of those areas that needs to really be rethought. You know, how do we view uh, education? If tuition keeps going up, what are we paying for? You know, is the return on that investment even close to what it used to be? And and the answer is we really see that they're not, uh, except for in very few cases. So relevance is really about making sure that what you're doing is not so much about meeting an immediate market demand, but that you are taking actions right now to anticipate the changes of, you know, the cultures that you serve, the society or the markets that you serve, and and looking for ways in which you can uh, take what you've done in the past and transfer it either into a new market or into a new way of thinking or providing a service or something that uh, that gets out ahead of these changes. Um, and that again goes back to being proactive. So. Relevance is really about uh, staying ahead and and being there when certain needs and issues arise. That's a really yeah, it's a really interesting conversation that about this whole area of ed- education. Um, you know the difference between courses and programs that are, are highly relevant and, and maybe maybe you know the cynic in me might say some courses are padded out with content that actually isn't relevant, but 
Feels agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Simply from my experience in education many years ago, that was the case. <laughs> right. So, so maybe that's you know that's a lens that uh, all education should maybe be looked through. Is it, is well, it highly relevant for now and for the future? Well, it's you know it's, I think you can look at every at least I can speak for the United States. You can look at every major institution in our country, the foundations of our institutions or of our country. You've got higher education, you've got uh, the financial sector, you've got um, uh, government, and you've got religion. And every single one of those areas, year after year, has been seeing a decrease in the public trust in those institutions. And so that's a real problem. I mean, you look at our political situation over here in, in the U.S., and it's, it's really like a circus. Uh, it, both on you know, the Republicans and the Democrats, uh, they feel completely disconnected from their candidates. People are moving to extremes and compromises this dirty word all of a sudden. And, and a big part of that, I certainly believe, is this transition, this shift that all of these institutions which have held up the way that we think and, and view the world are changing. And or they're being forced to change because we as people are changing. We have more access to information. More, you know, we've our our views on society are changing, and these things are failing to keep up. They're not. They're they're lagging behind what it is that uh, um, the people in our country need and around the world for the most part. So, you know, it's not just higher education, but it's all of these, and uh, and these are the ones that stand to be disrupted the most. Mm-hmm. It could, could be very disruptive if Donald Trump ever ends up in power over here. We've been talking in Parliament <laughs> about banning him from the country after one of the <laughs> statements that he's been making. Oh, man, he's, uh, he's a marketing genius. I tell you, <laughs> I can get some publicity. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I think we'd be happy to, much happier to see Obama in, uh, in power, actually. <laughs> um. So, okay, that's great. So what are the key trends that we've really got to be aware of, do you think? Uh, what are the key things that you're seeing out there? Well, yeah, you know, I, I think the key things, and a lot of folks are talking about this right now, is this concern with automation, right? I mean, we've been looking at automation for several years, and, um, you know, artificial intelligence, big data, uh, you know, telematics, uh, all these types of technologies that are moving into, into our lives that uh, are starting to become more consumer friendly, if you will. So much of this starts in in various sectors, right? You look at telematics and uh, robotics. They started manufacturing, and and now they're moving more into our personal daily lives. You know, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and so on. But the other uh, thing that folks are really concerned about is um, how automation is going to impact the future of their job. And you know, this uh, this I think is really important. I think it's worth. Uh, pointing out here in this show is that the fear of automation taking over human labor is nothing new. This is not something new for us in this day and age. This has been going on for, um, I mean, since the industrial revolution, since any new technology, since fire, I mean, you really get back to it. There's always been this fear that, oh, well, if we have this new technology, then I'm not going to have a job anymore. And, you know, in some cases that's absolutely true. But I think for us right now, uh, the real concern is 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 not so much here's the trends we need to watch out for so we can prepare for them, but it's we really as individuals need to start asking questions for ourselves because I think the fear of automation is rooted in this idea that technology or automation is is not going to so much replace our job, it's going to replace our purpose, which then drives you into deeper questions about what is the purpose of human labor and it's our contribution. What is it that we're really contributing? Because people more and more, even though we're more connected than we ever have been in history, uh, we feel more disconnected from that that human engagement, and and that's a and that's a real crisis that I think that we have to address as people because 
we can't handle change and disruption unless we are grounded and centered in what we believe our contribution, our value is. And then furthermore, having a place where that can be reinforced, whether it's at a job or community or, uh, you know, at, at any place where you're working with other folks. So automation, I think, is something that a lot of folks are really concerned about right now. Um, but the, um, and, and automation will replace jobs. The key is, is for folks to recognize very quickly that their value is not in the time that they spend at an office, but it's in the contribution, the intellectual capital that they have, their experiences, and being able to find ways that they can transfer those into new industries or into providing a much-needed service. Or um, the, the opportunities are definitely endless. So, so that, I would say that that's a, a key trend that uh, uh, folks are concerned about. Um, as for you know, down the road, uh, I think that you know, data is, and we've been talking about that for a long time as well, but the impact that big data is going to have on the way that we make decisions about our lives. Uh, you, know, you think about uh, the more data that's available, not just about the way we consume, the way we spend, but you know, IBM, for example, buying up the Weather Channel. A lot of folks laughed at that, but I thought it was genius. You know, they're, they're able to now look at historical data, data and projections, and you start to couple that with human behavior, genetic data, everything else, then you, all of a sudden you have got a holistic picture of uh, what might be in my best interest as a person based on all these different factors. So I think we will at some point very, uh, in the very near future come to a place that uh, we have to start answering another question is, is, can we as individuals make the best decisions for ourselves? Or should we outsource that to uh, artificial intelligence and give us the best options? So, hmm. yeah. I think one of the other things, I've actually only got about a minute to, to, to need to close, but one of the, the real sort of changes with all of this um, technology is internationalization and now you know, having global markets and access to them where online where we didn't necessarily have before. Yeah. Um, it was very, very interesting for a lot of traditional businesses, certainly. Well, Jared, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I've really, really enjoyed that and um, taken some, some you know, key points away myself. I certainly like that. Uh, I like the three C's. Um, c- congratulations to your wife for, the, uh, for her contribution, <laughs> creating a future that's you know, conscious, curious, and and creative. And I think uh, it is something that we all have to sit and think about. Is actually what is. Um, you know what we want our future to be in 25 years, um, and uh, how then might we create it? And what are the key sort of trends and changes and things that are going on in the marketplace that have impacts us that we really need to be aware of and think about our thoughts and strategies for? So, uh, Jared, been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Same here, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on. If you want to find out more about Jared, go to the JaredNicholsGroup.com. That's J-A-R-E-D-N-I-C-H-O-L-S-G-R-O-U-P.com. If you want to gain access to that um, uh, Kindle code um, for Amazon for his book, uh, then um, do um, subscribe to the newsletter at uh, chriscooper.co.uk um, or alternatively contact the jarelsnicholsgroup.com and I'm sure Jared will send that across to you. Um, it's, a, it's a great, um, a really interesting document, that. So well worth having and to reflect on this. Uh, and if you've got any questions or feedback on the show, please send them to me or get in touch with Jared if you're interested in services about helping you to reinvent your future. On next week's show, uh, we have the Centre for Enterprise and Gareth Bolland and Jamil Ahmed. And gonna, we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship, about um, being an entrepreneur within, uh, within your organisation and how um, encouraging that can really generate great dividends for your business. Uh, Once again, uh, thanks very much for listening to the show. Uh, Do join us again next week. 
and uh, do recommend the show to your friends if you if you enjoy it. So uh, thank you very much. Thanks to Jared and uh, wish you all well. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.